this, the hurricanes aren't judgment from God, okay? And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do today, and a lot, of pe- a lot of people know that God is good, right? A lot of people would agree that God is not causing hurricanes, tornadoes, and catastrophes and things like that. But a lot of times we don't, we don't know how to explain it. You know, we need to be ready in season that if somebody asks us, okay, well, that's all good and well, you know, you're saying God is good, you're saying God's not doing this, but what, where can you show me? What, what can you tell me about it? Because the world needs answers. Well, let me rephrase that. The world needs solutions, okay? The world needs something that works, you know, re- Here's what I've, and I'm not trying to once again bash, I mean, it's really, it's an adoption of, I guess, what's called as humanism, or what religion and, and man's attempt tries to, I, tries to do is I hear, I hear messages that leave you with conclusions like this, don't give up, keep trying. I'm like, you know, do a little bit better, you know, pick your head up. That's not a solution, okay? If the conclusion of a teaching is don't give up, keep your head up, the world can give you that, you know? We, it's Jesus' substance. It's not just give up. It's no, let me show you. Let me show you how powerful his spirit is when it indwells in somebody and they believe. I mean, there's a mighty work that happens when we say yes to Jesus. I mean, you literally go from death to life. That's what happens. That's true. It says you are seatedly in heavenly places. It may not look like it right now, you know, your life may not be revealing that to you or revealing that to your heart, but that's the truth. You're seated forever with God. If you have said yes to him, you've said yes to his spirit. So I'm going to take you down some scriptures to show you that God truly is good. He is a good father. Why is that so important? Because you can only trust somebody that you know to be truly good. I mean, we need to really trust him, right? I mean, we need to depend upon his spirit for everything. It's good. It's, we need to know that he is a good father because the, the world is looking for solutions. The world needs it. So we're going to go. If, if you have a piece of paper or you have your phone, I encourage you to write these scriptures down. Because these are going to be your go-to points to, to if you have conversations, which I'm sure there's plenty of you. There's people that believe goofy stuff all around us, right? The, the, the problem is when we say the new covenant, the problem is a lot of teaching what they do and what a covenant is, that's, that's, that's an agreement that's been made with someone. 
The old covenant, which for so you know, we're in the new covenant. The old covenant was based upon man's oath unto God, right? The new covenant is simply about this. It's God's oath to Jesus, not based upon you, all right? So go with me to Isaiah 54, verse 9. Actually, we'll go to verse 8, Janine. It says, With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, Verse 9, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. Verse 10, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. Go back to verse 8 if you would. So with a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy, mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Go, go ahead and go to verse 9. So this says, for this is like the waters of Noah to me. So what is for this is like? What is it talking about? Well, if you're familiar with the previous chapter, Isaiah 53, and even in the end of, I mean, really all of Isaiah 51, 52, are talking, it's a prophecy of Isaiah was setting up for the Messiah, okay? And in some translations, it's entitled the suffering servant. So what it's talking about, Isaiah 53 is all about the cross. It's all about what Jesus went through. So this is saying for this, for this is like what? The cross. It's talking about Isaiah 53. For this is like the waters of Noah. What were the waters of Noah? It was the flood, right? It was the flood. It was when God executed judgment on all of mankind. That's what happened. You know, there was evil was so prevalent in the earth that God had to execute judgment on the entire earth. So it says, for this is like the waters of Noah. So this action of the cross was like that event that, that, that happened, that God executed judgment. So the cross was like the judgment. For I, as I have sworn, I've promised that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, which was the sign of the rainbow, was the sign of the covenant, so I've sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. Verse 10. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace, there's a covenant of peace, be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. This is prophesying that there would be a covenant, covenant of peace established. When Jesus went to the cross, this is a promise for, for us. The mountains may depart, 
the hills may be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. It's not God causing hurricanes, judgment, and disasters to teach us something. I, I heard one very vocal person who has a, has a pretty big platform in the Christian world say that this Hurricane Irma was going was gonna to bring repentance, was going to bring humility, and it was going to bring awe and respect to his mighty power. I'm thinking, dude, <laughs> let me hear you say that after your house has been wiped out. Let me hear you say that after you lost a loved one. Let me hear you say that when your life is completely wrecked. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not really trying to, to bash the guy. It's just what I'm trying, you don't understand. You don't understand that there's a, there was a new covenant established when Jesus died. So I'm not just going to take you to this scripture and show you, but I'm going to take you to other scriptures. So that's like where you can go to first. You know, you want to take people and say, listen, this ain't God. That ain't God. Don't you dare say that's God. Read Isaiah 54. And it says, when he hid my face for a little with wrath, that's talking about when God said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, for a moment, he, he hid his wrath. That's, I mean, all of Isaiah 53 is he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. The reason that we have this peace with God is because Jesus took on the judgment and the wrath that we deserved. Just like the waters of Noah, those people deserved it because of the evil that they had done on the land. And God judged the planet with the flood. And God is saying, you know what? I'm, you're going to keep messing up. You're going to keep failing because that is the course that mankind has followed. Every time God brings them out of the Red Sea, what do they do? They complain. I ain't no water. <laughs> Don't have no food. That, I mean, that is... Man, and man is a rebellious nature within itself, okay? But once we receive the Spirit of God, we no longer have that rebellious nature. We have a nature that is, that is after Christ, that it, it, looks like, it looks like Jesus. So when Jesus looks at you, He's not looking at your failures. He's not looking at your mistakes. He's not looking at where you missed it yesterday. He's looking at what, what's been deposited on the inside of you. And that's the spirit of the living God. It talks about that. That's a, a, when you have the spirit, that's a guarantee of your salvation. It's the same Holy Spirit that Jesus walked around with. That's the same spirit that we have. So we're going to go to another verse. We're going to go to, um, to John 12. Go to John 12. I think it's 31. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here we go. So it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan. And 
I, this is Jesus talking here, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. I got news for you. That word, all peoples, is not in the original language. It's not in the original translation. You may see it in your Bible that it's um, different translations say different things, but we looked, I looked it at many different translations yesterday, and it was hard to find one that didn't have all peoples there. Now, what, go back to 31 real quick. So what 31 is saying, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So what's this talking about? Judgment, right? So verse 32. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. That Once again, that word all peoples is not there. So what's the context of what Jesus is talking about? He's not talking about he would draw all men, all peoples. What he's saying is, and this is before, this is coming into the Passover. This is coming in when Jesus coming in on a donkey for his triumphal entry that he was getting ready to be the lamb that was slain. He's talking about the kind of death that he would go through would be a death that he would take on all judgment onto himself. Okay? Do you, can, does, can anybody, can y'all see that? I mean, it's, it's so important. I mean, it's so important. And, you know, the translators probably, I, you know, I don't know what their, uh, if they had an agenda or not, or they just made a mistake, but something as simple as that can really take you down a different road, right? Can take you down a different direction. And it's not saying all people's, I got it X'd out in my Bible because it doesn't belong there, you know? And it's not that, yes, the, the Word of God is still perfect and, you know, inspired by God. It's translations can, you know, they can fail. So there you go. Um, go to Luke 2.14. So I'm just taking you down a path to see that, once again, I'm trying to bring that Jesus took on the judgment and the wrath that we deserved. He established a covenant with Jesus. I no longer be angry with you. I no longer rebuke you. It's very important to know this. We have to know this. It may not seem like that big of a deal if your life is, if you're just floating in the pool of life and just relaxing out in the sun. But when life comes, and I tell you, it's going to come, and things are going to happen. Do you know, rock solid in your heart, my God's a deliverer. My God is for me. My God is not against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. It talks about that at the end of Romans 8. It says, neither death, nor principality, nor power, nor angel. It says nothing, tribulation, distress, famine. It says nothing can separate you from the love of God. But there's one thing that's not mentioned. You know what that is? Point to yourself. You. That's the thing. 
Nothing can separate you from the love of God once you, but you can, right? You're the only one that can separate yourself from him. Amen, right? (laughs) So Luke 2.14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So the angels, Jesus was born in a manger, and angels could not help themselves. They had to break through and start singing and rejoicing for the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was born. Okay? And this is what the angels had to say. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. He wasn't talking about that he was going to establish peace on the earth, that there wouldn't be There wouldn't be wars. There wouldn't be all that. That's not what the angels were singing about. What the angels were singing about was that God was going to reconcile himself to man. That peace would be established. You know, the, the, the approach to God in the Old Testament was very complicated, okay? Was was very crazy. You had to, there was one high priest, one time a year, that would go through what's called the veil in the tabernacle, and he would go into the presence of God. That happened one time a year. One time. There was one person that was chosen on the entire planet to go through that veil and to be with God for that one day on the Day of Atonement. But now, that veil, that which was a barrier from, from man, now, has when, it was, when Jesus died, it says that that veil was torn. What was once a barrier is now our access to God. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing that we can go to God at any time. We don't have to go through some kind of religious ceremonies or anything, or in our own performance or our own deeds. We can go right to God. So glory to God in the highest on, on earth, goodwill toward men. God has established a covenant of peace with mankind. He has. He's not going to judge America because he judged Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.19. Let's go ahead. We'll just, we'll just go there. 2 Corinthians 5.19. I know we're going to a bunch of scripture, but it's, it's important that we know this. It's important that we have, when somebody asks, we can say, listen. I mean, this, the, the, whole, the whole Bible is, is about this. I and it is, it's like there's a veil over the faces of people. They just, they can't, they can't see the truth. But when we recognize it's all about Jesus, that veil is lifted. And we're able to see the truth for what it is. 
So 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Amen? That's good news. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You want to know what you're ambassador of? It says it right here, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We, as though God were pleading through us, pleading through us, listen, God has made peace with you. God is not angry with you. God's no longer rebuking you. God's not causing stuff in your life. It says that in James 1.13, that if you say that you're tempted say, or you have something, don't say it's from God. He's a good father. He wants good gifts. Don't say it's from God. So, verse, verse 21. For he who made him... For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, there was a great exchange. That's also what Isaiah 53 is talking about. It's the exchange of nature. You were dead in your sin, and when you say yes to Jesus, you're made alive with him. That's the glorious. and, And back to verse 19, he's not imputing our sins. That means he's not keeping it on record. You know, I, I, I should have had a, a, a rap sheet, you know. <laughs> and when you come to Christ, whatever that, that list of stuff that you've, that you, where you've blown it, you've messed up, God says, I'm no longer relating to you based upon that. I'm no, I'm no longer, I've, I've, Remember, don't, that's what we do with communion. I know I'm jumping all over the place. But that's what we do with communion. You don't, it says when you discern the Lord's body, you don't discern where you missed it. You don't discern where you've fallen short and you don't, you don't observe your sin. What you observe is the body of Jesus and what he took, the judgment that he took for us. You know, in the Old Testament, when people would bring their animal sacrifices to, to, re- to receive atonement, to, re- to receive uh, temporary forgiveness, what they would do before that animal was, was slain, and remember, they had to pick a perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice, okay? They couldn't just pick any sacrifice. So you could imagine the shepherds out there rolling that sheep around, you know, tipping it over, going through all the the wool, just to make sure, because it was very important to God that that sacrifice was unblemished. It was perfect in every single way. And what you would do when you would would bring that sacrifice, because God, God, it it sounds barbaric and it sounds like a, a ridiculous thing, but God, and 
just so you know, I always thought like about animal sacrifice. I'm like, why would you kill an animal and then it'd just be a waste? When the, the, the sacrifices, they actually partook of, you know, they would actually, that, that meat was for the Levitical priesthood. So it wasn't just like God was bloodthirsty and he wanted to kill an animal. With the animal sacrifice, so they had to bring a perfect sacrifice. And what they would do is when they would bring it before the priest, they would lay their hands on, on the head of the, the animal that was being sacrificed. And that was to signify that my wrongs, my doings, everything I've fallen short, I'm transferring those onto the sacrifice. This animal, this innocent, blameless animal has taken the wrong that I deserve, the things I've messed up. Now, I want you to picture for a second. That, that's what needs to happen in our hearts. I mean, really, the day that we receive him, the day that we receive Jesus, is we place our hands on, on could you imagine placing your hand on the head of Jesus? And him taking the punishment, the wrath, and the judgment that we deserved. Just by, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's the gospel, is that Jesus took it. It says, and it was not, we were born into that. By, by one man's offense, death reigned. By another man's obedience, grace reigned. The obedience we're meant to reign in life, meant to reign in life and know this. We have to know this. We have to know that God is not, God is not angry with us. God is not rebuking us. I mean, the scripture is saying that for God to judge the world for, for sin is, is to try and, and, and need another sacrifice. For Jesus to do it again. The Bible is very clear that in Hebrews 10 that Jesus, the, the sacrifice that Jesus died was a payment once and for all. No longer. There's no longer to put Jesus back on the cross. He is risen. Amen? Amen. And we are raised with him. I want to go to a verse... How much time do I have? Oh, I'm already over. Okay. <laughs> so just, sorry. Okay. Okay. So I did want to get to this one scripture, and I'll end on this. Amen. Okay. <laughs> let's go to let's go to Luke um, Luke nine. And this is just to illustrate the point once again. Luke 9, um, verse 2, or sorry, verse 52. And it says, And sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Actually, we'll back up to verse 51. I'm sorry. It says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before him 
um, before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But, verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Verse 54, and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But listen to the response. Okay, so this, so at a point in the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet had a king that was against him, and they sent soldiers to him, and he said, I'll show you guys. I'm going to command fire to fall from heaven, and it consumed them. But he did this twice. So John and James are thinking, yeah, this is going to be awesome. We've got a great show, fireworks, okay? But Jesus' response is this, you know. They had, they had such this view of God, you know, that this is how God was. And it says, verse 55, but he churned and rebuked them, okay, and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Listen, the you know, some people say, you know, well, yeah, what about God? God's the same today, you know, yesterday and forever. Yeah, that's true, but you have to understand the way that God relates to man has changed. There's a new covenant established. The, the precious blood of Jesus Christ established that covenant. It didn't come by nothing happening. It came by him willingly laying down his life. It says that, he said, nobody can take my life. I willingly give it. Man, that is beautiful. Because the devil, he's really dumb. (laughs) He's really dumb. Because he thought he had... One up, Jesus. He thought he had, he's like, yes, gonna kill him. And Jesus like, I already knew this was coming. You know, before Jesus in the, in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, take this cup from me. But if it be your will. The reason that Jesus was pressed so much in the garden I don't, it, it was, I don't think it was so much by the beatings that he went through and the scourging and, and, and him having the, the nails nailed. But I think he, he knew that he was going to be separated, separated from God. And that's why every, every message that we must preach, it must go back to the cross. It, it must go back to who Jesus is. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the full expression of who the Father is. You see Jesus treating people a certain way. Don't say that God is treating people one way, but Jesus is treating them another. You know what I'm saying? It's not that hard, but it takes 
religion to complicate it. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We must. We must, as, as it was saying in 2 Corinthians, we must plead to others. You've been reconciled. It's safe to come to God. Why, why, why do we get people saved and then expect them to live up to this incredible standard that they can't even live up to on their own? Jesus said, why are you putting, why are you putting yoke and bondages on my people? We have to be solid and grounded in the love of God and what he has done at the cross. That's my heart's desires for people to know that it's safe to come to God. Safe to know that God is not the one causing this stuff. That's ridiculous. My father is a good father and he only has good gifts. He's not destroying people's lives. I've I've shown it. I've shown I've shown in the scripture for this to be true. That we, he has made a covenant of peace with mankind. Now it's up for us to, to receive that and to give that. So Father, we just thank you. God, we just thank you for that covenant of peace. God, we thank you that this, the gospel is the good news of what you have done for us. And I thank you that in that good news is freedom. I thank you that in that good news is liberty. I thank you that in that good news cycles of sin are destroyed and eliminated. I thank you that every, everything bowed to the name of Jesus and what you have done. God, we just thank you for this beautiful gospel. Thank you for taking the judgment that we deserved and willingly placing it on yourself so that we could be free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from shame, and have the indwelling of your beautiful and wonderful spirit living on the inside of us. And with just every head bowed, if you've never said yes to Jesus, and maybe you're hearing the gospel for the first time, maybe you're watching live right now, why don't you just lift your hand up if that's you? Well, if you felt like you should have said yes or you were watching, you just say something like this. Father, you heard the gospel. I thank you for taking the penalty I deserved. I thank you for being judged on my behalf. I thank you that you've made a covenant of peace with me. I thank you that your word says that when I believe and trust in what you have done for me, that I become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. God, I receive that right now. And we just thank you for who you are, God. We just thank you. You've given us the good news to share with the world that you're not the author of tragedy. You're not the author of all the terrible things going on in the world. God, but because we have been given in the authority and the keys that you've given to Jesus, we speak against those things with confidence and boldness and come before your throne. Thank you, Lord. Amen.